Let's open our Bibles to Luke 1. Luke chapter 1. As I encourage you to open your Bibles there. We're going to read more than just what is listed in your bulletins. It's page 1016 of your pew Bibles. Luke chapter 1. This is, of course, a new sermon series, having completed the sermon series on um, the life of David last week. We're going to turn now to Mary's experience of preparing to welcome Jesus into the world. It's a series titled Expecting, and I want to give credit to seminary professor Scott Jose, a professor of mine from Calvin Seminary, who has titled his series of devotionals, uh, devotional um, little snippets during Advent, Expecting. So I'm sort of stealing from him. It's a great title um, about this theme generally of Advent. Advent is a time of expecting, but I I just realized as we focus on Mary's experience of um, Advent that this title of expecting would be right on point, Um, not only in describing Mary, but hopefully it would also describe us as we anticipate the advent of Christ. And so in each sermon um, in this series, we're going to be thinking about Mary, but but ultimately a sermon should be about God, um, about Jesus Christ. And so um, we're going to be looking at uh, the intersection there of how God cared for Mary, how God blessed Mary, and and it's good for us also to to see how Mary responded, and in each case it was in a virtuous, admirable way. So we have so much to learn about following Jesus, about trusting in God from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And today we're going to consider Mary's character, her, um, her virtue, and in coming weeks we'll think about how she served the Lord, so her actions, followed by how she blessed the people around her, and then ultimately on December 24, reading the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, looking at her worship of God. And so today I want to contrast Zechariah with Mary. Zechariah is um, a man who received a great message from the angel Gabriel, much like Mary received in Luke chapter 1 a little bit later on. And uh, you'd probably notice on the screen or in your bulletins that the, the heart of the story that we're going to read is verses 26 through 38 of Luke chapter 1. But I'd like us to to start by looking at verses 5 through 9, which begins with the story of the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, the message that Gabriel shared with Zechariah. And again, the purpose here is to contrast Zechariah's response to Gabriel's message to Mary's response to, um, to Gabriel's message for her. And so, Uh, Let's look at Luke 1, starting at verse 5, reading verses 5 through 9. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
So it describes the situation further in uh, verses 10 through 17. Let's pick up the story in verse 18 where um, an angel has appeared, prophesied that they would have a, a son named John. And here's Zechariah's response. Zechariah in verse 18 says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And then skipping a little bit uh, later to uh, verses 26 through 38, which is our, our main scripture reading today. This is the story where the angel comes to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first person to hear the gospel message, the message of Jesus, a savior and a king, was a young woman in Nazareth. Nazareth was such a small town, such a seemingly insignificant place, that in our scripture reading, Luke assumes that no one has ever heard of it. He assumes that, and we can see that, because he has to describe that it was a town in Galilee. The fact that Mary was in Nazareth isn't just a little bit of Bible trivia for us to memorize for a Bible trivia contest, but the town of Nazareth is symbolic of Mary's humble status in the hierarchy of Jewish culture. So it's not just that she was in Nazareth and that's just something we move past very quickly, but, but certainly she was there literally, but it was also symbolic of her humility and the humility of this situation. During Jesus' ministry later on, somebody doubts his credentials because he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel, 
also called Bartholomew, one of the disciples in John 1 verse 46, meets Jesus, finds out he's from Nazareth and says, can anything good come from Nazareth, that backwater town? And so we can see in the telling of this story right after the telling of the story of Zechariah, a contrast between Nazareth and Mary, humility, and Zechariah, who is in a place of authority, in a great place like Jerusalem. Luke skillfully contrasts the visit of Gabriel to Mary to the visit of Gabriel to Zechariah. And and one of those contrasts we can see is in the location and what the location represents. So Gabriel comes to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where you would expect something of great spiritual significance to happen. And something supernatural does happen in that place as Gabriel comes to Zechariah with an amazing message. It's not as though he shouldn't have been there, but that's kind of where you would expect things to happen that are important. The eyes of Israel are always on Jerusalem. Uh, there's kind of an expectation that, that what happens in Jerusalem will affect the rest of the nation, even in the spiritual sense. So again, this is where somebody would anticipate something supernatural could happen. And uh, we could even see a contrast between Zechariah and Elizabeth with Mary in their old age as well. Zechariah and Elizabeth in their, their later years could have evoked thoughts of Abraham and Sarah. And so although John the Baptist's birth was miraculous, there was a precedent for it in the history of God's people. But considering Jesus' humility, it makes sense that his origin would be from a humble family in a small town in Israel. When we read the story of Gabriel's announcement of Mary's pregnancy, we can clearly see that that she was perplexed. She asks a couple times, how can this be? She's trying to understand what's happening, what's being promised to her. And after getting over the shock of speaking with an angel, not just any angel, the great messenger angel from heaven, who, as he said to to Zechariah, who sits in the very presence of God and is sent by God directly to these people, after she gets over the shock of speaking literally with an angel, she asks twice how it could be possible that she's pregnant because she was a virgin. And so there was the physiological question of how she could be pregnant. But being a devoted worshiper of the Lord, Mary would have understood that, that this is something that God could accomplish after all had been promised long ago in Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin would be with child. She was a devoted worshiper of the Lord, and she would have known that God can do great things. God can do great miracles. He's done them in the past. She would have certainly believed that he could do something in Israel in her day as well. And so she accepts that this miracle will happen in her life. But another reason beyond the physiological question would be how could the personal question how could God choose me we almost find Mary saying to do this great thing for him we really see Mary's meekness in her final statement to the angel I am the Lord's servant may it be to me as you have said 
So given that display of humility before God, it's reasonable to believe that a reason that she was so perplexed earlier in the story had to do with God's choice of her, her of all people, to do this great thing in his kingdom. So again, it's not just the physiological question of how could this happen, but there's the personal question for Mary, how could this happen for me? A humble young woman in Nazareth. Listen again to Gabriel's description of Jesus. It's an awesome description. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so we have that being spoken to Mary as a description of her child. The question for Mary in response to that promise wouldn't have just been a physiological question, but it would have been that personal side as well. We can imagine her thinking, God is going to use me to bring that great king into the world. A teenage girl in Nazareth. Mary's wondering about the possibility of this miracle does not come from a place of doubt, but a place of of humility. That's what differentiates her from Zechariah. So this is the main sort of idea that we want to get in this part of the message, that Mary's questioning is not the questioning of doubt, as if she's not believing that this could happen, but it's a question of humility. She's trying to make sense of how this could happen for her. This is another contrast between Zechariah and Mary, that Zechariah's response to God was, you can't do that, God. That's doubt. Mary's response to God is a humble one. How could you use me to do this great thing, God? And that's humility. So Zechariah is judged, but Mary is encouraged. Zechariah judged for his doubt. Mary encouraged for her humility. Her humility before the Lord prepares her to believe God's promise for her. When the Lord sets something before you that you know will be difficult, is your response to God motivated by doubt or is it motivated by humility, humble service to him? We could take a a, a simple example of this that applies to every single person here Let's consider God's call on each of us, God's message for us to love your neighbor as yourself. So like Gabriel appearing to Mary, God has given us his word that describes how the Christian is called to live, live a life of love towards every person that we meet. And listen to this description of love, and this is the the standard that we're called to live by in the church today. This could sound so difficult, and it will sound difficult when we really consider that we're called to live in this way, that God's message for us is to live with love, and love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so if somebody is 
given this message that this is the Christian life, one response to that expectation could be the response of Zechariah, a response of cynicism. I could never live that way. I couldn't really do this. I, I couldn't let go of irritability, resentfulness, rejoicing with the truth, bearing all things, enduring all things. Could I really live that way? Could it really be done? That's the response of Zechariah. But the other is the response of Mary, which recognizes that is, it is naturally impossible to live in that way, but with God, all things are possible. It is naturally impossible for a person to believe the gospel. It is naturally impossible for a person to live a life of sacrificial love, love of God, and love of our neighbors. But what is naturally impossible for us, God can accomplish in us through his Spirit. So, how does Gabriel respond to Mary? Two points. First, he tells Mary that she is highly favored. And second, she tells Mary all things are possible with God. Gabriel encourages Mary in, that, in those two ways. So we can agree with Roman Catholic brothers and sisters that Mary is full of grace. But we believe that that grace was granted to her from God and was not intrinsic to her character. And so... The angel comes to her saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And I put the transliteration of the Greek word for favor there, charis. Gabriel says, Mary, you have found charis. You have found grace with God. It's the same word that would be translated as grace in other places in the New Testament. You can see a little bit of the word charity in that word, right? So you have found favor. You have found grace with God. God has looked upon you and with, shown his favor by giving you virtue, giving you faith, making you humble. So do not be afraid, Mary, because God is giving you this gift of his grace. It's a common greeting in the biblical world. Gabriel literally speaks a word of grace as he's approaching Mary. It's how the Apostle Paul begins so many of his letters. Grace to you and peace. Charis to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how we begin our worship services. It's the word of greeting that we start our worship services with as well. That, that God has shown favor to us, to you, showing grace to you, giving peace to us through Jesus Christ. And Gabriel's greeting was similar to the greeting that we begin our worship services with. Grace means that Mary was here receiving unmerited favor from God. It's not as though Mary was pure in and of herself. Uh, we would reject that doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that would say, uh, speak of Mary's moral perfection. But she was, right according to this verse, a recipient of grace, unmerited favor from God. The great commentator, Daryl Bach, of the New Testament, one of the greatest living um, uh, uh, students and, and scholars of the New Testament puts it this way. He says, After the greeting, Mary is addressed as the favored one. And in this context, Mary is the recipient of God's grace and not a bestower of it. So she's the favored one, not because 
she is naturally morally pure, but because God is pouring out so much grace upon her to serve him in this special way. So, in one sense, Mary has done something that no other person could ever do. We want to acknowledge that before we start with other applications that Mary has, does have, kind of a, a very special role in the kingdom of God. Herman Bovink wrote that Mary alone has been given an honor that no other creature has been given, carrying the incarnate word in her womb. But in another sense, we can say that every Christian is full of grace. Every Christian, every person who is in Christ is highly favored, is given the lavish, abundant grace of God, not just for our salvation, but also to serve God as he calls us to. Again, we begin our worship services with this greeting that proclaims grace and mercy and peace to you from God. And those aren't just promises. That is a description of the Christian life that we receive grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way that Mary received grace, so too we receive it as well. So if you are in Christ, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if you are trusting in him, you are highly favored. You are a recipient of grace. You've probably heard the rosary prayer before, describing Mary as full of grace, and it is true that she is full of grace, and so is every Christian. Therefore, if you are given an important job to do, a difficult task in God's kingdom that will impact many other people, do you think, I must be highly favored? I will be equipped by God's grace to do this thing that we, which he has called me to do. If your focus is on your natural ability to achieve a good result, you won't consider yourself very favored to be given something that is difficult that you know you cannot naturally complete. But like Mary, if your strength is in the Lord, a challenge is an opportunity to show that God blesses his people with the grace that we need to serve him. God blesses us not just with that salvific grace, but with his active grace that pulls us through even the most difficult situations we could encounter. So that was the teaching of the Apostle Paul in a very well-known passage, Philippians 4. I know it's a favorite passage for many in our church the Apostle Paul said, how is he going to get through these things that God has called him to do, not just stumble through them, but get through with contentment and with faith? Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. And that's a really full idea of contentment. It's, it's confident. It's, I know what it means to live with faith in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How does it happen? I can do everything through him, who gives me strength, who gives me grace, who gives me mercy, who gives me peace. So that's the first word for, for Mary. You, Mary, are highly favored. You will be full of God's grace to do this difficult but wonderful thing in God's kingdom. The second word of comfort for Gabriel comes 
um, a little bit later in the passage, nothing is impossible with God. Luke 1, verse 37, a great, great reminder. Nothing will be impossible with God. And it was proven to her. It was proven to Mary at each point in her life. It's proven through Jesus Christ that the virgin conceived and carried a child, named him Jesus, is the Son of God, and that really happened in the world and was proven in the resurrection of Christ. All the miracles of Jesus, especially the resurrection, prove the promise of Gabriel that nothing is impossible with God. The birth and the resurrection of Jesus are core doctrines of our faith, and they're both miracles. And so every Christian must believe that God has done miracles in the world in order to save us from our sin and from death. It's a popular trend right now to moralize the Christian faith, to consider this book full of moral teachings or philosophies that formed Western culture are or are sort of mythological almost in nature, but the Christian, a a true, authentic, real Christian, must believe that God has done miracles in the world in the incarnation of his Son, throughout the life of Jesus, and especially in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Why do we believe these things? Because we believe nothing is impossible with God. That God can do miracles, show his supernatural power, in the world for our salvation. Pastor Zach and I recently recorded a podcast where we talked about what we appreciate about some of the other denominations in the Christian landscape. It was a few weeks ago. And um, we got to the point where we were talking about the charismatic church, denominations like the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal Church. Um, a lot of non-denominational churches sort of lean in a charismatic direction Uh, Vineyard churches would be another example of that. And uh, we noted that both of us agreed one of the things that we appreciate about the charismatic church is this expectation or this unshakable belief that God has supernatural power and is acting in the world in amazing and miraculous ways. And we noted in that podcast as well, I think we need a little bit more of that in the Christian Reformed Church. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? We have a lot to learn from charismatic brothers and sisters who who really believe that and who live like it. And they talk about Jesus. They pray to the Spirit that the Spirit's power would come upon a church or a person and radically transform someone today, right now, because God is at work. I think we need a little bit more of this strong faith and the miraculous, supernatural power of God so that we might see, we might have our eyes opened to what God is doing around us. Nothing is impossible with God. A sinner can be forgiven. To some people, that will sound more miraculous than a virgin being with child. That you, knowing your sin, for you to believe that you really could be absolutely forgiven, restored to God through Jesus Christ, that would sound to some people like that could even be harder to believe than that a virgin had a baby 2,000 years ago. 
because you know how bad your sin is and you know how many times you've gotten caught up and wandering away from God. But nothing is impossible with God. A sinner can be forgiven. People can be healed. Addictions can be broken. Somebody with a hard, cold heart can be transformed into a person who is now in Christ and given a heart of compassion and patience and warmth towards their family, towards neighbors. God can bring this kind of life change. That's one thing we, we recognized in the podcast, that, that this, this kind of life change ministry, people going into prisons, people going into their neighbors' homes, building relationships with people who are broken down by sin, we need to believe that they could really be transformed. Because nothing is impossible with God. God's power is so much greater than any of these problems. Culture can be transformed. A society, a nation can be turned towards the Lord. Do you really believe that? We need to believe today that nothing is impossible with God. As I close, I want to share with you a bit of the inspiration for the sermon series itself, where we think about how we live with expectation of the arrival of Christ. Our church right now is so blessed to have so many babies in our church. It's a really wonderful time here at Avon Valley. Four babies recently born, three more on the way, seven babies in about the course of probably seven or eight months here being born in, in our church. It's an exciting time, but with these pregnancies comes some anxiety, I know, for, I think particularly for a mother who's carrying a little one. It takes a lot of courage for a woman to carry a child, to give birth to a child. It takes courage and faith to do that. A few months ago, I was just admiring the courage and faith of the women in our church who were preparing to bring life into the world and, and all the powerful emotions that come with being pregnant and looking forward to the birth of a child. There are high highs and low lows in those months of expectation and the months of getting ready. And I was thinking of the test of faith that it is to carry a child. And that made me think of Mary. So I suppose I, I, I thank the, 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 the women of our church to giving me that picture of the life of Mary as, as they approached the, the birth of their own little ones and just showing me that courage to bring life into the world, to doing this, this difficult thing. We have in Mary an example of humble faith and courage to serve the Lord. Humble faith and unshakable courage. Sometimes humility is associated with weakness, but, but not for Mary. Humility, for her, prompted her strength to seek the Lord, to rely on God, to believe that nothing is impossible with God, and he's going to bless her, favor her, give her grace, and equip her to do that which he's called her to. So the sermon series is called Expecting. Are you expecting 
that God can do a great transformative work in your own life. What are you expecting this Advent season? Are you expecting to encounter Jesus Christ? The great author C.S. Lewis once reminded people, it's not that our expectations are, are too lofty. It's so often the case that our expectations are too low. Are you expecting an encounter with Christ to transform you, your heart, your mind, the direction of your, of your life? Are you expecting that God can show you that you are highly favored and that nothing is impossible for him in your life? What helps me live with greater expectation is to remember what God has promised to do. Sometimes people have wild expectations that God is not going to fulfill. I'd say maybe one of the, the errors at times of that charismatic movement but we need to attach our expectations to what God has actually promised to do. And we find it in closing in the words that Gabriel spoke to Mary. What has God promised to do through Christ? Jesus would be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. That is true. It is being fulfilled. And brothers and sisters, let's live with expectation of seeing it happen in our lives and in the world around us. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we pray that you would give us faith humility, and strength to go where you send, to believe what you have taught. Lord, we pray that we would live as Christians, people who trust Jesus, who remember the ministry of Jesus, the miraculous birth of Jesus, ultimately, and the resurrection of Jesus, Lord, we pray that we would be people who remember that you have proven in this world that nothing is impossible for you. God, we pray that because of that, we would be humbled because we know we cannot achieve any good thing aside from your help. But God, we pray also that you would make us confident that you will do great things, will give us strength so that we might be content and might bring you glory in every situation you call us to. Oh God, we pray that you would help us, that you would give grace to us, just as you gave to Mary for the important task you set before her. Oh God, we praise you for the faith of Mary. We praise you for the incarnation. We praise you also for working in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.